Well, we are entering into a new sermon series for the next three weeks called Like No One Else. We figured, after having preached on Judges, which was our presumably most popular sermon series ever, that we would follow on the heels of that with an even more popular subject, fasting. It will be my burden to preach a sermon about fasting that doesn't make you want to die, except in the right kinds of ways. But it's not only about fasting, it's about, for these next three weeks leading into Advent, it's about these practices that Christians and the people of God have participated in for millennia because they recognized there was a value to them. It was a reorienting practice. It was a practice done in secret that would help them be more pronounced in their faith and devotion in public. These are practices that God's people have always practiced. And if we as a church and as a church in America want to be what we've been summoned to be, salt and light and a city on a hill, then we're going to have to be like no one else. We've just gone through Judges and seen that one of the the dangers and the demises that accrued to the Israelites was that they wanted to be like everybody else. They did what was right in their own eyes. They were lured by the lust of their eyes and by the cravings of their hearts to want what everybody else wanted, to do what everybody else wanted, to obey their appetites supremely. And God called their mingling with the nations detestable because they could not be a light to the nations if they were just like the nations. Dave Ramsey, that some of you know. How you doing, Dave? Better than I deserve. How can we help? That's what he used to say on his radio show. And Dave Ramsey has written many books and is now ubiquitous in certain quarters. He has this great expression as he's trying to help people who are upside down in their financial world. As he deals with people who are in this state of calamity where they, they walk around and they look at people around them and they say, how do they live like that? How do they have such a fancy house and always have such new cars? And why are they so tan? How do they get so tan? And they've always just been to the beach. And how are they living like that? And Dave wants to say, well, first of all, because I've been on the inside, they're probably leveraged to the gills. And there's probably a lot more fighting and worrying about how provision's going to happen than you realize on the outside. And he'll say, in addition to pithy things like, act your wage. He will also say, if you are willing to live like no one else, you can eventually live like no one else. He wants young people and older people to say, you know what? I'm not going to participate in the craziness around me. I'm going to adopt a different kind of way. I'm going to live like nobody else is living. He means it in the financial realm. I'm not going to live beyond what I have. I'm not going to use debt. I'm not going to, if I can't afford it, that means I can't afford it. I'm not going to borrow money for it. He means it in the financial realm, but this is a great moniker for what we're thinking about here that there are these practices that God's people have always participated in 
that are wise and good, that if we practice them, we will be like no one else. It'll be hard in some ways, but it will help us to become like no one else and our trust of the risen Savior. So as we look at this Matthew chapter 6 in reverse order, here's the question I'd put to you. As you do and think about a little audit practice, practice of your uh, audit of your practices, do my current practices and pursuits have the effect of increasing or decreasing my belief in unseen things? Do my current practices have the effect of increasing or decreasing my belief in unseen things? That's the burden of these sermons. What's going on when we think about practicing these things? So Jesus says, on the heels of his telling us to love our enemies and to be perfect, therefore, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, he walks right into talking about your acts of righteousness, which have been what the Jewish community and what Christians throughout the ages would have assumed were normal acts of piety to be participated in. He talks about prayer. He talks about charity, almsgiving, giving away material goods. And he talks about fasting. Be careful, he says, Matthew 6, 1, not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he jumps. When you fast, don't snarl your nose. Don't walk around with your shoulders slumped. Don't go around tweeting about it. Don't selfie your fast to show people that you're fasting. If you do that, you'll have your reward. If you want people to be impressed with you for not eating, if they would be, well, then that's what you'll get. They'll be impressed with you for not eating, and that'll probably really help you out a lot. Man, they didn't eat. Woo, don't you feel stronger now? Able to face your depression and your sins and your guilt and your sense of meaninglessness on a spinning planet and the fact that you're going to die. It's so nice to know someone's impressed with you for fasting. He says, but when you fast, uh, instead, take a shower. I mean, if you don't take a shower any other time, take a shower. Shave. Get your Metro, put some facial cream on or something. Put some stuff in your hair. If you, you know, if you do that sort of thing. So it won't be obvious that you're fasting. So only your father will know. Your unseen father. And he'll see what's done in secret. And he will reward you. So do your current practices have the effect of increasing or decreasing your belief in unseen things? Today we're going to talk about the practice the difficulty of it, the benefit of it, and the challenge, but they're going to be short. The practice of fasting, quite simply going without food for some spiritual purpose. Going without food, says Richard Foster, for some kind of spiritual purpose. This is how fasting is practiced in the Bible, and it's practiced by many people in the Bible. 
heroes of the faith, Moses fasts. King David says, I afflicted myself with fasting. Jesus fasts. John the Baptist fasts. His disciples fast. The Apostle Paul fasts. The apostles, after Jesus is ascended into heaven, they likewise fast and pray. We are not enjoined in the scripture anywhere that I know about, specifically with a thou shalt fast. But it's certainly something that seems to be assumed as a valuable practice for people who are trying to fix their eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And of course, not just Christians do this. All sorts of people, religious people, have done fasting for religious purposes. You know, there's a place, and this is one, maybe one of the most compelling places, besides Jesus saying, when you fast, as if that's going to be something you do, where Jesus is approached in Matthew chapter 9, if you want to look it up. He's approached by the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples, and he's just been at this kegger at Matthew's house. Wait, well, a party of some sort. And they were eating. It was at the Golden Corral. They had lots of, like, roast beef and chocolate sauce. And his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, said, why are we starving over here and you guys are stuffing your faces and drinking elegant wines and IPAs you made in your bathtub? Thank you, child, for that. Why are we fasting and you guys eat and your disciples eat? And Jesus says, we're at a wedding party. They're with the bridegroom. You eat and you dance and you sing and you shove cake in faces at wedding parties, but one day I won't be here. Then they will fast. And it turns out once he dies, he's resurrected and ascended into heaven, and he says, wait for me, we find them fasting. We find the church at Antioch fasting when Barnabas and, and Paul are told by the Holy Spirit, hey, send these guys out. And so after Worshiping and praying and fasting and laying hands on, they send them out on this missionary journey. It seems to be a practice that is often participated in by people throughout the Bible. A practice of avoiding food so that you may attend to a more spiritual purpose, that you may become more awake to God, you may wait on the Lord, you may rouse your interest and your expectation in unseen things. The difficulty, though, of this practice of fasting, well, there are two at least. One, Jesus speaks to the difficulty of doing any kind of religious practice in order to be seen by people. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Now, people get confused about this sometimes, and they think, if I'm fasting in my home and should I tell my husband? Should I tell my wife? Should I tell my kids? What if we're... No, no, no. He's not talking about that. People are bound to know if you're fasting. It's not... No one can know ever under any circumstance that Jesus is going to shoot you in the leg with a pellet gun. What he's saying is that there were play actors. That's what hypocrite means in the first century. They had no CGI. They had no elegant makeup artists. Cool costuming. So they wore masks on stage, and everybody knew these were stage actors. 
Then he adopted that stage acting metaphor for these Pharisees who on Mondays and Thursdays, market days, would parade around the market fasting. So humble. So devoted. So expending themselves for God. And so he says, don't be like a play actor. Don't be a hypocrite. That's what a hypocrite is, a play actor. You're pretending a part. Don't do these things just to be seen by people. If you are doing things just to be seen and you are seen, that will be your reward. Well, we may not be as tempted to do religious things to be seen. We might actually do religious, uh, fear doing religious things because we will be seen. But we're very accustomed as most of the people in this room have never lived a day of their lives. There's a few of you left. Most of you have never lived a day of your lives without television or a screen of some sort being part of your life. You've grown up with television as a ubiquitous part. You know, Hutch Garmini used to say, I'll say to Ashley, hey, you want to have some company over? And that means turn on the TV. I grew up in a house. The TV was just on, even if no one's watching it. It was just on. Extreme friends. But you know what we've learned? What we've learned, and, and, and this add TV and add to it the interwebs, you've learned that the most significant thing, says David Foster Wallace, the most significant part of being a person is watchableness. That our worth is rooted in the phenomenon of watching. And just think about that for a second. Think about how much you think of your own life as a stage. Like if I suddenly ask someone in this room right now, hey, hey, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to sit down. Can you come up and finish this? Maybe just tell us a story. And you would, you would just run out of the room like Michael Scott. We don't want to be watched unless we think we're putting forward our best face. I don't think most people do selfies when they just woke up and it looks like they've gotten punched in both eyes. Thank you. I got some attentive kids back there. Man, don't you love being on social media? Even if you don't post, you're on there so you can watch. See, Facebook stalk. So you can find out about other people's lives and look at their pictures. You love watching people. That's what we think people are for, is to watch. We think that our eyes on them is, is fundamental. We think if we can get the right eyes on us in the right kind of way, that will make us something. And, of course, one of the gifts that you get sometimes is realizing that it doesn't help that much. That getting the applause of people, some of you get it sometimes. And you realize, like Gary Moon once said, it's like a drop of oil on a hot manifold. It hits and then it just dissipates. You just need more. You just need more. It doesn't fill you like you think it will. No matter how many likes you get on an Instagram picture or how many attaboys or girls on the job you did at the office, it's not ever really quite enough, is it? And Jesus would say, that's why you need to have a secret life with God. 
because you need to be weaned off the eyes of men so that you can learn the healing value of the eyes of the only one who matters. And your present moment is designed to keep you frantically moving from devouring experience to devouring experience so that you never have to be still with only the eyes of God on you. seen by people it's also hard this discipline of fasting is probably the hardest spiritual discipline i could tell you about i think if i told you about prayer you'd be like cool sounds elegant lovely sounds refreshing renewing scripture reading probably i could get you a little bit excited about that um togetherness yeah study sure worship that's fun mostly kind of Fasting. We had an elder when I was talking to my small group about this the other day. He said, isn't that one of those disciplines that Jesus died so we wouldn't have to fiddle with? And I think that's how we think. Yes, that's what we think. Or I do some of my best fasting from 1 to 5 a.m. every night. I'm like, I'm with you, brother. I'm a daily faster. I fast a few hours every single night. And then I break that sucker with a vengeance. At breakfast. <laughs> but it's possible that these disciplines that involve abstaining from something are maybe some of the most important ones for us who have sinned. Maybe the disciplines that you're most frightened by are the ones you should most be considering participating in. David Hansen in one place said, the Lord's Day command, the command against works, is the most argued about by all people. Everybody wants to know what you can actually do on Sunday because people don't want to give up their work. They don't want to give up the thing that makes them what they are. It terrifies us to think about not doing something on a day. I think it terrifies us also to think about not eating. And I realize that me talking about fasting is like Hillary Clinton talking about honesty. It's like Donald Trump talking about compassion. Equal opportunity slams. You see that? But I'm wanting to learn about this and and practice this. And I think there's something that when you have a sense of terror of someone telling you, hey, I'm doing the whole 30. Oh, yeah, what's that? Well, you just uh, eat a whole 30 pieces of cardboard for a month, and that's. Wait, is that what it is? No, you just don't eat anything pleasurable that Americans eat all the time, but only for 30 days. And if you start hyperventilating when you hear that, you're like, oh, Christian, I don't have to do that. Stupid. If you start hyperventilating when you hear that, that's probably a sign that your appetites have too big a rain on them. It's a difficult discipline. It gets a lot of kickback from us. We don't want, we don't really believe that God will reward us. We don't really believe that the eyes of God can be healing for us, sustaining for us. And we also, it's hard to go without your appetites, not to obey them. But so what's the benefit? The practice of fasting, the difficulties that 
we want to do stuff for the eyes of people and it's the hardest spiritual discipline. What's the uh, benefit for this? Why would we do it? Well, the most simple thing is Jesus says in maybe a way that might make you feel uncomfortable, do this in secret and God will reward you. You just think about that. Now, you can't. You can, we got a lot of other places in Scripture. This isn't a, a meritorious thing. We, we believe we're saved by grace. But this is like a lot of the spirit, uh, spiritual disciplines, a lot of our practices, it's making space in your life. It's like having a really good friend coming over to your house from college or somebody you really love, and you're so eager to have them. And so when they're coming, you might even clean your house frantically, not in the same way you would for anybody else coming where you're trying to make them think you don't actually live there. But you might actually clean your house as a, I want these people to feel honored. I'm so excited for them to be in my house. I'm going to make space. I'm going to make special provision so that I can meet with my friend in a really cozy, inviting, celebratory way. If you believe that through prayer or giving or fasting, making space in your life to say, God, I am hungry for you. And I've been, as Kuiper would say, filling up on the junk food of the world. I'm going to abstain from food for a time as you give me grace to do it. That's how I have to do it. Lord, if you want me to fast, uh, you're going to have to sustain me. And I find that he does. Just, you know, just three point three times I've done it. But you make space in your life to say, God, will you come to me? God, will you reorient me? God, will you let this practice be something that raises my expectation and your involvement in the world? Because nobody around me is expecting me to do anything. But I want to. It's a way of making space. And of course, as you make space in your life, as you as you say, I'm not going to be ruled by my appetites, you also get to learn something. That God really does give grace to the humble. When he says, open wide your mouth and I will fill it you find that he might actually do that. You find this astounding thing like the Israelites did as they wandered about in the desert and as they were eating this, like, something worse than kale. Just kidding. Manna, though, mana. What is it? That's what it was. Nobody knew what it was. They called it, what is it? So we get manna. And God fed them with food from the heavens. And he gave them shoes that wouldn't wear out and clothes that wouldn't deteriorate. That's a fast. Fasting is an opportunity to find out that our God is in the heavens and he feeds his people on earth. And his people on earth, we are called to be like no one else. So we need to practice things like no one else. The other thing Richard Foster says happens when you pray, I mean when you fast, is it helps to reveal what controls you. You know those hangry commercials, the Snickers commercials where these villainous men are angry. It's always Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And when they eat a Snickers, they suddenly become the lovely characters on Brady Bunch again. But when they're not eating a Snickers, they're not themselves. That's how the saying goes. Don't get hungry. Don't get hangry. Does it ever cross our minds, though, that when we don't have what we want, whether that's food or the right temperature, 
or the right kind of car, the right kind of spouse, the right kind of money, the right kind of clothes. But when you walk into the world and everything is demanded to be according to how you want it, you're constantly foul. And maybe that's not because things aren't how they want it. It's maybe it's because you're foul. Maybe when you get angry at people because you haven't eaten, it's because you're angry. You're an angry person. You have anger in you. But the situation of hunger merely reveals what's there. It doesn't create what's there. Lots of people have fasted to say, Lord, show me and introduce me to myself and wean me off myself. Wean me off my desires so that I may trust and depend fully on you. And one of the best benefits is simply withdrawing from normal pursuits to find out. I think that means land of plenty. Who knows what it means? I said it. I can decide what it means. But to have this practice that takes us in out of the out of the franticness of our normal existence, where we're constantly trying to get away from ourselves, we're constantly moving, acting in an emergency to relax, fearful of silence, fearful of being alone, and fearful of not being rightly loved or rightly esteemed or not having what we want. And it's just imperative to have moments where we step back and we say, you know what, we are partial creatures, we're finite creatures, we only live for a very short time. Does it matter how many likes I get on an Instagram post in the light of eternity? Are these things that I'm so upset about? I can't believe she said that about me. These things that we're so upset about. What if you felt healed by the love of God because you have given yourself in a posture of opening wide your mouth so he could fill it like a little baby? What if you did that? And you realize, I'm going to live a really long time. I don't have to have the applause of men. I don't have to have everybody's appraisal and approval. I don't even have to have my spouse or my boss think everything about me. We saw this clip the other day. You probably saw it. Beautiful scene. All these birds, I mean birds, deer eating from a bird feeder, I guess, or deer feeder or something. And they're there, and this is right up close to this sliding glass window. And then suddenly, as men are wont to do, this man goes, achoo! This is a sincere sneeze. And the deer run off. And the wife says, way to go, Ron. <laughs> and Ron, in the first time of human defensiveness and spousal relations, says, what? I'm not allowed to sneeze. I'm not allowed to sneeze. And I was like, that's perfect. That is perfect. Way to go, Ron. Way to go, Ron. Way to ruin Christmas for everyone with the sneeze. Way to ruin creation, Ron. What? Can't I even breathe in my own house? Can't I even detox from debris that's gotten stuck in the cilia in my nose? He just said, can't touch, sneeze. What if you could live without being defensive? Now, that'd be nice. I think fasting can help you do that. Especially fasting joined to prayer. Fasting 
going through this expectation that God is going to meet you, nourish you, that you don't live by bread alone, even if it's holy whole wheat, but you live by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. It might just make you aware of our God's interaction in the world. Owen Meany and John Irving's story was said about, this was said of him. He believed that coincidence was a stupid, shallow refuge by stupid, shallow people who were unable to accept that their lives were shaped by a terrifying and awesome design, more powerful and unstoppable than the Yankee flyer or steam engine. He thought people who believed in coincidence were stupid and shallow and they couldn't deal with reality that we were being acted on that we're being seen, and our world needs to know it's true, that we're the people who will refrain from fulfilling all our desires so that we can wait on the Lord, so that we can act like no one else, so that we will be able to act like no one else. So here's the challenge. Try it. It's been said that one learns to pray by praying. I think that one learns to fast by fasting. Try fasting. If you're healthy enough and you're, you know, if you're pregnant, you probably shouldn't do it. Ask your doctor. I don't know all the disclaimers they put on the TV. But try going without a meal. How about on Tuesday? There's something happening Tuesday. How about on Tuesday at lunch? You say, we're not going to eat lunch. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for the mercies of God. We're going to pray that the church would be the church, that we would be a leavening effect in the world, no matter who is. I don't even know what a good outcome to pray is. I can't see a good coming out of the election, but maybe you can. And certainly God can make good out of anything. I'm not nervous about it. Let's pray. And let's fast for lunch. You can eat breakfast at 11 and supper at 6 and just skip lunch. Try it sometime. Try Skipping one meal, then try skipping two meals. Try it with some regularity, once a week, once a month, something. Give it a try. Ask God to help you. Ask God to meet you. Dallas Willard tells this story, and it's the final thing, of a man who came up to a preacher once, and he accidentally cussed. And when you're a preacher and people accidentally cuss in front of you, they think you're going to dissolve like a witch with water on her like you're going to melt I never heard that before and the embarrassed parishioner looked at the pastor and he said it's no big deal pastor I cuss a little you pray a little neither of us means anything by it reason we would consider fasting or any of the secret disciplines is because we want to live like no one else so that we can live like no one else. We believe that the world is invaded and conquered by Christ who means to make all things new, who has summoned us into his story. And he said that when he leaves, his disciples will fast. Part of the fasting is to remind us that we do mean it. We mean it so much, we're willing not to eat so that we can have Christ, that we can call on him, we can plead on him, we can couple it with our prayers so that we can have the power to be his people 
in the world who mean it until we return. It's awfully easy to forget that we're only going to live for about five minutes in the grand scheme of things. The Bible says a breath, a mist. Fasting is a way to remind us that we're in the middle of a very long story that for us won't end. That will be met up with the pleasure of Jesus Christ who will reward us even now and who will reward us with eyes that favor us later. So we don't have to be ruled by the same thing as everybody else. The values of the world don't have to have so much hold on us. Because we are kept by Jesus Christ. Let's pray.